we're going to do things a little bit different this morning, a little bit differently. Did you all get your questions? What I'm covering today will be covered by these questions, but we'll also, I'm planning for a discussion at the end. So just to manage expectations. I've also been asked to say a little bit about myself. You all, some of you all know each other for decades, but you don't know me. So I'm going to talk a little bit about me. It's not, okay. How's this? Is it working now? John, you did. Can it? Try it now. Testing, one, two, three. You've got to put it Testing, one, two, three. Is that working? Is that better? Thank you, Paul Brennan. Okay, so a little bit about me. You all have known each other some for decades and decades, but you don't know me. So I'm going to spend just two minutes telling you just a little bit about me so you all know what's up with Ellen Fraser. So I've been a Sunday cookie baker since FPC opened after the pandemic. And then I became a covenant partner. I was in the very first class. And if you look up here, you'll see some familiar people. There were six in the first class. Yes, that's Paul and JK. Yep. So we were the first class after the pandemic. What is my greatest joy at choosing all my talents for my amazing FPC? I've been in Bridges class since 2021, and I do volunteer tech support, as you all know. We got everything set up and recorded today. Nancy, thank you again for helping. Audio only. I've been in PBS, Pastor's Bible Study, since 2022, and I'm in the study group led by Barbara Ann Stevens. I'm a widow. I've been in grief share. I'm the alumni class of 2021. Joe Moore calls them alumni classes. So I'm the alumni class of 2021 led by Joe Moore. In the literature circle, I've been doing publicity since 2023. We have a really, really cool, just a wonderful venture we're on. We're traveling back 50 years every month when we meet. We just did January of 1974. And what I do is I look in the old bulletins and the old newsletters. And in January 74, for instance, the Mose doors and transom were dedicated. So I go back and look, look at all these things and we report on that. 50th anniversary for Literature Circle. I love it. I'm on the WOC Council. I'm treasurer right now. I was assistant treasurer last year. I'm on the officer nominating committee under Ed Moore. I'm a student of the third mill classes. I don't have enough superlatives to tell you how much I've enjoyed them. They are absolutely out of sight fabulous. They're wonderful and they're free. And they're wonderful. I've taken many of them. And I also do registration volunteer under Michael Moore. The Zabinden Study Center Committee, I'm the recording secretary under David West. And for keys, I'm on the program committee, and that's under Joe Moore. What's Ellen away from here? I have a an BBA and an MBA, and I've taken postgrad studies in theology. I received my executive MBA from Houston Christian College that used to be Houston Baptist. I'm a foodie forever. 
I take culinary classes whenever I can. Uh, Central Market and SLT. Uh, Central Market two weeks ago had a citrus stroll, which was absolutely, in the dead of winter, wonderful. Six different kinds of oranges, five different kinds of lemons, limes, grapefruit. A foodie forever. <laughs> <laughs> I was a contractor to the Chief of Staff Headquarters Army of the Pentagon that was under Bush the Elder and Olive Clinton. Global Director of IT and Finance, I directed technical teams across the globe for IT support. I performed on-site data IT tech support in every state except Hawaii and Alaska. I was a global exam coach. Over 50 people were certified in ITIL, that's an IT credential. And I repeat, uh, each year I won awards for annual recognition for the lowest staff turnover. And these were people all over the globe, Morocco, Indonesia, everywhere. What was my greatest work success? Knowledge transfer to my geographically dispersed teams, none in the US. And they were all typically in their late 20s and to come to my team was typically after their degree usually their second job. Like in Morocco, they were MIT graduates, Morocco Institute of Technology. Oh. <laughs> and my greatest success, I taught them how to read statements of work. And we were able to, I was able to teach them how to look at pricing and services deliverables. And more than one of them took a promotion to the legal department in their country. Really, I'm very, very proud of that. And then my greatest work struggle, working seven days a week across all the time zones, took all my bandwidth. <laughs> so thank you for being here today. You'll see several pictures. We're just doing Daniel 2, that's all. This is only the dream, and you saw this in your handout. This is just the dream of the big guy with the gold head. This is not the tree or the other dreams or Nebuchadnezzar wandering around like an oxen drinking water. That's for later. Keep the suspense up. So that's for later. But today, Daniel 2, this was in the 6th century BC during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, 605 to 562. So what was going on then? Israel was in exile, and of course the cause was disobedience. The captors mocked the Israelites. And remember, Daniel received praise from the ruler of the then known world. Daniel did his best to serve God and the king faithfully, always giving credit to God. So what else do we know about Daniel? He was from a prominent Jewish family. He lived in the time of persecution, a preteen when taken captive. He remembers the songs of his youth and sings songs about the Lord in a foreign country. And even when alone, his first action is to praise God. So here's a timeline. This was out of one of my Christianity class textbooks. Um, I really like it because it shows, see, see Daniel's life is that darker band right there, and there's Nebuchadnezzar right under them. We're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar in a minute, but you can see the duration, the kings of Judah up at the top, Ezekiel's prophecies in Babylon, and then the fall of Babylon, of course, 
539 and Cyrus of Persia came to power. And I, I like that timeline. There also was a timeline that you were given in your handout. I don't know if you saw it, but I like the graphic, graphic stuff. So he knew that only God holds sovereign power. He knew there are events beyond human understanding. And there's no better model for being obedient to God, even when surrounded by people who do not share your beliefs or respect your worship or are disobedient to his word. And we're going to come back to that sentence a little bit later. But that's, that made me understand why we're studying Daniel now in this class. Look around you. What's going on in the world right now? Well, we're going to talk about that. So I looked into King Nebuchadnezzar. I found some pictures out of old Bibles. This is kind of a cool picture of him, um, a depiction of what we think he looked like. He was called the warrior king. He promoted idolatry. He destroyed the temple of Jerusalem, destroyed it. But he was a strategist. He followed two wise policies. He allowed the conquered nations to retain their own religion and he imported the smartest people of the conquered peoples to help him govern. That's, that's strategy. He was a great builder throughout Mesopotamia. He renovated 13 cities. He loved building things. But he focused on Babylon. He conquered Syria and Palestine. He's responsible for the captivity of the Jewish population. And in the Jewish tradition, even to today, Babylon symbolizes oppression. You can also read in the book of Ezekiel, they describe Tyre in 571 BC as captured by the Babylonian army. In fact, a lot of these old Bibles I was looking at had some really cool printings of what they think that capture looked like. Um, and that's in the book of Ezekiel. I have a picture here. Um, this is Nebuchadnezzar on the right, if you can see up there, and then the ziggurats. And this is a depiction on the right featuring a depiction of Babylon's great ziggurat. And then down at the bottom I found this, a fired mud brick from Babylon that was stamped with the names and titles of Nebuchadnezzar. I thought that was kind of cool. So he made Babylon splendid. By 600 BC, Babylon was seen as the center of the world. I love history. I guess you all have figured that out by now. So I want to make sure you have the history behind this. We'll get to the big guy with the gold head. Hold on. <laughs> now, divination was an accepted practice. That's a process through which the king's advisors aid the king. They try to understand what the gods were doing and then to decide a course of action. So in the top right, you'll see a depiction of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And they were constructed, or the story is, although it's disputed, that they were constructed by Nebuchadnezzar for his wife. And then there's a picture of the, from the Pergamon Museum in Berlin of Babylon's Ishtar Gate. It was restored and beautified. So 
So this dream, this happened in the second year of his reign. This is his first dream. We'll get to the others as the weeks unfold. The astrologers were unable to interpret his dream and the king ordered all the wise men killed. He was superstitious. He didn't want to miss any message or any omen. God showed Daniel the king's dream and taught Daniel what it meant. Daniel thanked God for answering his prayers and those of his friends, remember we talked about those with Dr. Skates last week, and for saving their lives. Daniel, as a wise man, kept the king waiting to hear about his dream. Daniel, as his first step with great courage, he told the king that God in heaven sustained Daniel and the people in captivity. That was brave. And here's an illustration from um, a 1917 Bible of Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. I always like pictures. So I saw these and I thought I'd do screenshots and bring them to you all to enjoy. So here's a picture, a depiction of this statue in the dream. And up at the top, is the head of gold. Now this represents the different periods. So the head of gold represents Babylon. The chest and arms were silver. And that's the Medo-Persia period. Then the belly and the thighs were bronze. And that was Greece. The legs were iron and that was Rome. The feet are iron and clay. And that's modern Europe, or that's what the notion is, that that was modern Europe. And then in the bottom right there, the stone that breaks the statue into pieces, and that's the return of Jesus. So even the greatest earthly kingdoms will sometime, someday, sometime fall. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and Rome's division into the many countries of Europe, that all unfolded. The statue is eventually destroyed by a stone not touched by any human that grew into a mountain that covered the earth. I'm glad I got Daniel too. <laughs> there are other parts of Daniel that are really cool, but this I really like Daniel too. And Tom was glad because nobody else signed up for Daniel too. So, <laughs> so let's look at some of the verses. 28, but there is a God in heaven who explains secret things. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at a later time. This is your dream, the vision you saw while lying in your bed. O king, as you were lying there, you thought about the things to come. God, who can tell people about secret things, showed you what is going to happen. God also told this secret to me, not because I have greater wisdom than any other living person, but so that you may know what it means. In that way, you will understand what went through your mind. Verse 31, O king, in your dream you saw a huge, shiny, frightening statue in front of you. The head of the statue was made of gold. Its chest and arms were made of silver. 
Its stomach and upper part of the legs were made of iron, while its feet were made partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Verse 44, the God of heaven will set up another kingdom that will never be destroyed or given to another group of people. It will continue forever. In this way, the great God showed you what will happen. The dream is true, and you can trust this explanation. Verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell face down on the ground in front of Daniel. He honored him and commanded an offering of incense to be presented to him. Truly, I know your God is the greatest of all gods, the Lord of all kings. He tells people things they cannot know. Then the king gave Daniel many gifts, plus an important position in the royal court kingdom in charge of all wise men. King Nebuchadnezzar did as Daniel asked to make Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego leaders of the Babylon area. Nebuchadnezzar changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar to conform to the ways of Babylon, or that's what he hoped. And in Romans 12, 2, the wording is conformed to the pattern of this world. And as four Hebrew friends, you heard this um, from Dr. Skates, boys about age 14. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, Hananiah to Shadrach, Michelle to Meshach, and Azariah to Abednego. So a little more about Daniel. Um, he served as an advisor to pagan kings for 66 years with diligence and resourcefulness, but he declined to worship Nebuchadnezzar's king image. So any of you who played Bible trivia, I love that. I'm always up for Bible trivia. That's one of the one of the questions. What did Daniel refuse to worship? It's Nebuchadnezzar's king image. He lived in a time of persecution, but he found comfort in knowing God transcended the potential limits and destiny of Israel. He had his steadfast faith in God of the universe, God the creator. After the wonders of God were shown to him, Nebuchadnezzar himself acknowledged Daniel's true name and honored the God of Israel, writing, Daniel came into my presence. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Years later, the queen of Babylon still referred to Daniel by his Hebrew name, although she knows of Nebuchadnezzar's attempt to change it. She spoke of him as Daniel, whom the king called. Belteshazzar. So let's have a discussion. Um, this sentence that I read to you earlier, I would like to have this open for discussion. So again, why are we studying Daniel? Look around, the world's upside down. It's unimaginable. Um, we have to keep our steadfast faith in our sovereign God. We have to have that focus every day. So Daniel's a model for being obedient to God, even when surrounded by people who do not share your beliefs or respect your worship and are disobedient to his word. So let's discuss a couple of things. Of course, I have some, but I'd like to hear from you all. 
Could you share your experience? Did, were you in a situation at work where you were surrounded by people who didn't share your beliefs? Or something in your community? You might have had some community involvement and ran into a, um, some type of agnostic um, or just any suggestion you'd have. Would anybody like to volunteer? You can keep the names out of it, but would anybody please volunteer to tell us a little bit about an experience you might have had? Your Daniel experience. Okay. <laughs> okay, Barbara Ann. That's okay. I've come. This is good. Don't worry. I probably need to stand up. Okay. There you go. Um, I've been in a, a book club that's fabulous. I love it. And we have been together for over 44 years, which is amazing. And one of the women in the book club and I actually went to Miss Roberts' preschool and private kindergarten together in Houston, Texas oh. in the 1940s. Oh. And we here we land together as adults in San Antonio and it was her idea to start this book club. And normally, um, you know, we, we are a diverse group of people, particularly I would say in um, a religious sense. Um, some of us are conservatives, some of us are reformed, and some of us are not. Um, and so we were at dinner one night, this, this group together, and someone that I have the utmost respect for just simply said, now she's a Lutheran, uh, but a member of the ELCA church. And she just simply stated as fact, you know that they have... Um, disproved almost everything in the scripture so it's not that important well i i was just so <laughs> stunned by that statement that i i thought well i can't let that go mm. you know and um, maybe maybe it was the holy spirit i i would hope that that was the case and i simply said um you know, I have the utmost respect for you, but I disagree totally with the statement that you just made. And it, it kind of happened and it went away just as quickly as it came. But two other people in the group uh, who are members at Trinity Baptist um, called me and said, thank you for saying something. And so I, I guess the message there is uh, more that we need to speak up when the opportunity comes. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that they agreed with what I said because they took the time to let me know that they did. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, are, are you ever in that place where you know you could say something? You certainly know what it is you believe, but it just takes a bit of courage to step up. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't see myself at all like Daniel or courageous in any sense, but I kind of think that because of advancing age, 
that I think if I'm going to say anything, now's the time, right? You don't know when it's going to come again. And so um, I want to seize the moment. Carpe diem. Exactly. Thank you. And you were courageous. Well, it, yeah, because she's she's really can't let that an go. Important person, you know. Can't let. But people do have that belief. They're they're they walk among us, don't they? Yeah. Yep. Who else would like to tell a story? We don't need to give names or places. I worked in Silicon Valley, and if there ever was a bunch of heathens. <laughs> It was Silicon Valley. It was, um, my husband said we had the California treatment. So we, <laughs> um, it was an interesting work phenomena. Um, let me go back on this. It was a, an interesting work phenomena. The people worked seven days a week. Some of the IT guys, remember it's an IT shop, they showered and went back to work. There were showers there and dirty towels and things like that to worry about. But none of them, not a one, went to church. Not a one. 1,400 people. Not a one ever wore a cross or any type of religious symbol. Not a one. I always talk to God every day. I was raised that way. In fact, my mom said my first word was God. <laughs> but I was raised in a home that was, we did revere God. And it was an amazing work experience. They had nothing, absolutely nothing to contribute on a spiritual basis, nothing. And it was very difficult. In fact, one of the vice presidents, when something went wrong, he'd come to my office and he'd say, See what your God let happen? Or his other favorite comment was, have you seen the kids in the cancer ward? And what do you do with that? You can't argue with that mentality. They're not ever going to come your way. But I was very proud of my Christianity. But it's a difficult situation to be in when you're with people that don't don't have that higher reference point, that spiritual reference point, that contact point all day long, every day is a reference point. They don't have that. It's a different, a different crowd. Have any of you all worked or had anything to do with silica? I, I know it's a broad paintbrush. I'm just giving you my 18 months that I was assigned to Redwood Shores. No, nobody else, Silicon Valley? Well, big tech's alive and well out there. There are things that I did out there, just like the things I participated in at Headquarters Army, that I'll take to my grave that are... Yep, <laughs> things I can't talk about, but things that were grievous, too, and done wrong and incorrect. And I know, Rich, you're, you probably have some things that were done in your work career. Questions? Anybody? Comments? I have some more slides, of course, but I just thought it would be worthwhile to talk about why we're studying Daniel and why I feel it's so important to understand that God's there for you. He's always just a prayer away. And when you work with people that don't have that reference point, it's a different, it's a different behavior, a different mentality, 
every Friday noon, the bar was open, people got drunk in the office. It was just, it's a different mentality. It's, it's a different mentality. It's, <laughs> I crept toward the elevator and left. I just, that was me. Nancy? How fortunate. It was interesting to watch that with his presence there and mine, people got very uh, comfortable talking about their faith, praying when we had uh, a company get together or something. Isn't that wonderful? And it even transformed yep. the CEO. And it was just interesting how it just took the presence of one person who, yes. came, who just refused to compromise. And I mean, had a Bible's out on his. Uh, table in his office, books that people could come and pick up when they wanted to. So that was just a real encouraging experience. And that was after having, in years prior, worked at the Health Science Center for a man whose favorite adjectives were taking the Lord's name in vain, oh. which was part of the incentive to leave. But anyway, so one person, like Barbara Ann said, can make a huge difference. It is. And you were very, very blessed. I believe in divine intervention. I believe you were blessed to have that work environment. No, I was. I always, I always told my boss that I didn't know if I was an answer to his prayers, but that job was an answer to mine. To yours, certainly. So, no, I believe. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. that it, Thank you, Nancy. But the fact that it, it caused other people to be bolder with what they did. And that's the encouragement of fellowship, isn't it? This whole class. I told Tom Banky, I hope when I give the presentation, people don't decide to leave bridges. <laughs> so we have various people signed up. If you haven't signed up, you should. I have a few more slides, but any other comments about being bold? Yes, thank you. Hold on. We got to get you some, some audio. Yeah, it does. Cool. You'd pass that down. Okay, thank you. What happens is on the podcast, it's just totally dead air. As Chris said, it's just, thank you. Go ahead. I have many um, experiences as a student, as a Christian student at a secular university that we went to, and especially in um, psychology huh? and the dance, dance department. I... Um, trying to pick which one I can share, but um, one was that uh, I was taking a psychology and religion course, and the, the professor was an, he was an atheist, but he wanted to explore everything. And we had small groups, and um, in our small group, they were kind of talking about how everyone had this horrible experience of church and of God, uh. and everyone's saying, yeah, yeah, and so in the small group, the professor said, well, did, has anyone ever had a good experience with God? And there's this pressure, like, you're gonna get jumped on if you uh. if you say it. And I just blurted, I said, I have. Good you for know, you. I, you know, and talked about God, and, and had mm -hmm. a opportunity to share the gospel. 
and everyone just kind of was surprised. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, people came up to me to ask me questions and to ask about my experience. One attended a prayer meeting with me um, after that, but just to to take the step, um, and you don't know what the result is. Done by you. Good. (laughs) That was your voice that made that happen. Send it over to Kathy, please. Nancy, we should have had you on, Mike. I was kind of hoping a, a, a man might join this because look at it, one, two, three, four women. But anyway, um, so back in the 70s, I taught ESL. Uh-huh. When you teach ESL, your class is completely diverse. Some speak yes. Arabic, some speak J- Japanese, Chinese, Spanish, whatever. So I can't remember how we were talking, but a student asked me, um, are you Catholic? I said, no, I'm a Christian, but I'm not Catholic. Right. And he said, uh, he started asking, he was very curious. Well, I happen to have in my purse one of those Gospel of John's that's a little bitty booklet. And so I said, Shaban, he was from Tehran. He said, I said, Shaban, this, here, you take this and you can read it and then you'll understand what I believe. Because he was, what do you believe? What do you believe? So, I thought, okay, that was a good idea. And so <laughs> that was on a Thursday. We, we didn't meet on Fridays. When I came back on Monday, there was this little gift. No, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the next day he came back and he said, he, he said, this says Jesus, son of God, mm-hmm. you must believe. Is that what you believe? And I said, yes, that's what I believe. Absolutely. And he said, I do not believe that. I uh, said, okay, that's fine. Well, I looked a little closer. He had translated into Farsi. He had penciled Farsi in the entire Gospel of John. Wow. And I thought, I he had chills. Himself. I had chills. I thought, wow, the Holy Spirit grabbed Shaban. Through you. And that's so I, I said, well, that's, yes, that's what I believe in, and, and you're welcome not to believe. There must have been 20 in the class of different, who knows, well, it was then, was the weekend, and when I came back on Monday, there was this little package, a little something wrapped in a piece of lined notebook paper. And I opened it up, and I read the letter, and it said, Thank you, my good teacher, for teaching me about the Jesus. Oh. And he went on to explain that he, he was taking the class t- in order to take the TOEFL exam. You know, you yes. couldn't, in the 70s, if you wanted to go to the university, you had to pass your English proficiency in order Certainly. to be accepted. So he had gone, and they all had jalopy, cheap cars to drive, if, in fact, they could afford a car. So he had been driving down the, to Galveston for some reason, and his, he says, suddenly my car stopped. I'm very anguish a lot. Then I remember the name of the Jesus, and I say, if you are there, please help me. The next thing, a black man, he stopped, and he fixed my car. And I say to him, what can I give you to thank you? He said, nothing. I did it for God. Yes. And he said, I know that the Jesus sent the black man to fix my car. And you I, I will always remember the, the Jesus. Well, this was right when we were engaged, right before our wedding. And so I, gave, I was living with my parents. I gave him a Bible. He came to First Presbyterian Church. 
He's, he was very excited. He, got, he went and got in at a college up in the Panhandle, and he sent me a letter, and it said, I went to the church. They have the same Bible you do. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's what's so wonderful about Daniel is yes. he knew that God was always working. God was in charge of everything. 100%. And he didn't have to fear. Mm -hmm. He was just close in God's will. So, And divine intervention. You're too rich. Yeah, divine intervention. Absolutely. I see it every day. We've talked about it in our PBS small groups every day, every single day. Go ahead. Um, I guess I want to answer the question that you were asked by your coworker about have you been in the cancer ward, children's yeah, cancer ward? Yeah, he loved ward. throwing that at, at yeah. me with my cross around my neck. So um, I'm a pediatric critical care doctor, and we take care of lots of kids with cancer. Yes. And, um, so, you know, there are very few places where faith and hope are expressed as much as yes. a pediatric cancer ward. I mean, um, there's that, that saying about there's no atheists in foxholes, I think, is a, a saying? Yeah. Well, there's very few atheists in the children's cancer ward. And, and there are a lot of people who go through there with their kids who are very, very ill, and it's their faith is a, an incredible witness um, of strength and right. and perseverance. And um, I, I was at the men's retreat this this weekend, and uh, a, a man testified and uh, gave his testimony. There were a couple of people who were asked to give testimonies, and in his testimony, it. He touched on when when his son was uh, really sick, and it was in a, it was in Christa Santa Rosa Children's Hospital thirty years ago with with cancer, and um, and how how really a meaningful experience that was for him um, because of the because he felt like God intervened and helped his child and and, mm -hmm. and cured him and. Also, but the, the 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 staff at the hospital there were very supportive and uh, in his faith, um, and so I, the the other thing I want to say is, it's interesting in a place like Silicon Valley, all these young intellectuals who think that they know what's going on with the they, world. They and, know everything. Yeah. They already know everything. Mm -hmm. I, I I and people off often ask me, like, you know, about scientists and doctors and whatnot, and, you know, are they all atheists or, or whatnot? Well, I find that there's very few doctors who are atheists. Um, I think when you, you know, certainly studying science can make you delude you to think that you actually understand how in the world the world got here. Well, that's but, their hook. They think science does not in any way point to religion or religion. That's yeah. their hook, right? Right, yeah. But but when you have to really start 
you know, sort of as the tire hits the road, when you have to take that science and try to help people who are hurting and are dying, um, you realize how really dependent you are on God and how actually the science is it is extremely valuable tool for good. Um, God gave us minds to figure things out, but when it really comes right down to it, it's a tool to, to help us make the world a better place. Um, but it doesn't explain anything about, it doesn't, well, if anything, it points towards God because of the incredible elegance of the universe and the, it seems to me like the more science you know, the more it points towards God. But um, it's also um, when you, you know, in, in like the medical field, I think you're, you often are, you realize that, that you need more than the science and you need God. And so, although I'm, I know there are atheists in the medical world, mm-hmm. I think there's less than in other similarly Similarly, similarly educated groups of people because they have to. And medical uh, miracles happen. Yes, they I agree. do. And yes. that's divine intervention. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I, I will attest to that. I, I could tell you like uh, probably a dozen times that were really re- in my career that were really clearly in my mind miracles. Um, and and sm- to a smaller degree, all the time, like mm-hmm. you know, every you know, every t- you know, mother with a dying child who has a visit from a nurse who cares about them and yes. and encourages them, or her social worker, or mm-hmm. anybody else. Th- those are in ways miracle, you know, real really miracles as well. And while he's swapping the microphone there, any of you who have some free time, go to the literature circle the last month, and Richard gave an absolutely amazing book review and discussion, family discussion. Um, again, a wonderful presentation. I love the literature circle. I love the written word. So again, that was a spectacular presentation. It was audio and visual record, so you can see him talking. Yep. Go ahead. Thank you. I just want to share something that really piggybacks and ties together uh, Richard's comment and, and Barbara Ann's. Um, so I have a, a colleague who is a PhD in analytical chemistry, has lots of technical experience with lasers and all sorts of technologies. Um, I've been praying for him for a long time. Um, only God knows his heart, but my guess is based on the totality of his comments so far that he probably has not come to the point of saving faith. And so I pray for that. Um, And the other day this week, uh, I came across uh, an email that was um, a devotional type email, and it had a um, presentation about the cosmos and how the uh, 
how immense it is that we, we, we really can't fathom the expanse of the cosmos. And that, right. and that that is the Greek word in John 3.16 where it says God so loved, right, that it, he, he loved the cosmos That's right. apparently. And I'm no Greek scholar, but that, mm-hmm. that really jumped out Everything. at me. Everything. <laughs> and it goes on to explain just the immensity of it and mm-hmm. the fact that we are just specks if you tried to paint a picture of the cosmos and yet this loving god is interested in each one of us right um and so when i came across that i had the thought i wonder if i should send this on to my colleague and you know it's it's all about sharing the truth of god the love of god right and so my encouragement is much like um Barbara Ann encouraging us, to, you know, well, you know, is, was that God? So that's that right. sounds like God, right? Sharing the good news about that's God. Right. That thought probably came <laughs> from the Spirit of God, that's right? Exactly. To, to be encouraging to us to think, okay, yeah, that's right. You know, let's, let's share that. And to Barbara Ann's point, later that afternoon, he stopped by my office wow. And said, wow, that was interesting. Thank oh, you for sharing. You caught right? him. And so just want to encourage everyone, yes. when you get those little promptings, take, take a step of faith. And, you know, if it sounds like God, it, it probably is God. Exactly. Speak up. Pass over to Chris if you would. Yep. So uh, I thought I would tell this little story to encourage people to speak out in your secular occupations, even though I wasn't in a secular Ah. occupation when this happened. Um, But many years ago, in the 1990s, um, a PBS guy named Hedrick Smith wrote a book about American education. And the point of the book was we don't educate non-college students appropriately, and so we have a poor workforce. Um, and he was comparing us to Japan and Germany, which do it a better job. Well, years go by, uh, and a little bit about Memphis. Memphis is more than 50% black, tremendously racially divided. Uh, and I, I'd say this, if a white pastor would call a meeting, you could bet that two blacks and the rest whites would show up. If a black pastor called a meeting, you could just bet that all blacks and two whites would show up. But there was a famous Methodist pastor named Maxie Dunham um, in Memphis, and he was in his 70s at the time, and um, we knew each other, so periodically I would just go to these meetings. So um, during the administration of Mr. Obama, um, the head of the Department of Education came to Rhodes College uh, Mm -hmm. to give a talk. And the talk was about everybody needs to go to college. And... um, it was a bad day. It was a rainy day. I was, it was a busy day. I didn't really want to go to this meeting to begin with, but I got convicted. I have to go. But I showed up late and um, had to stand in the back of the room. And as you would predict, Maxie was on the front row because he was retired and old, full of blacks and a few students that showed up. Um, so basically, um, the talk is about we need every Memphis young person to go to college. So a little brief review. 50% of all students in the Memphis school system drop out of high school before they finish. 
uh, and the average high school student reads at a sixth grade level. Wow. So we go around, we have this time for questions, everybody talks, uh, the pastors in the room affirm, yes, everybody needs to go to college. And because I was in the back of the room and come late, I actually was the last person who they called on. And I basically said, you know, I hate to throw water on this, but it's impossible. And I just quoted the facts. You know, uh, an 18-year-old that reads at a sixth grade level, yes, a few of them we will rescue and they'll become medical doctors and they'll have a great life, but the average person is going to end up probably selling drugs. Uh, and so, you know, there was a dead silence. After it was over, every one of the black pastors came up to me and said, thank you. We cannot say this. <laughs> But thank you for saying it because we have so many of our young people that never get a job and they end up in trouble, of course. And so I think what I, the encouragement I was going to give is even about secular matters, the world is full of noble but not very reasonable ideas. And don't be afraid to point out that this is noble but unreasonable <laughs> That's right. uh, because, you know, we don't solve any social problems by noble but impossible ideas. So. And to pray for those we disagree with. I remember with Ron Skates in his classroom, we had a session, a section at the front where we'd tell funny stories that happened during the week, and very often they were um, about, the, very often they were about the White House, if you all remember those. And I thought that was fun, and I contributed to them, too. But you know what Ron did at the end? That they need your prayers. You know, we sit here and laugh at it and think it's funny, and some of it is, some of it's pathetic, and we think, what kind of unimaginable world are we in right now? As Ron Skates always says, five years ago, we wouldn't even... Said there's no way the world would be doing what the world is today with the open border and millions coming across. We need to pray. We need to pray for them. And as you said, you made a step in the right direction. You did. You did. You did. It's. You did. It's. It's just we have to be have that power of the word of God and stand up and say something. We have to, we absolutely have to. So thank you for you all who contributed. I do wanna share a couple more things just real quick. So this is, um, cause let's see, I wanted to show you, um, hold on. Let me show you a couple of things just real quick. Let me just, oh. That's not good. Hold on. Are we back? Yep, there we go. That's an actual picture from the sanctuary. Barbara Ann remembers it. Let me show you. I wanted to show you a couple more things that were, I think were very interesting. One is, um, of course, my one-year Bible. Dr. Skates told us last July, go get the ESV one-year Bible. It's transformative. You cannot imagine what a difference it is to do that every day. I started mine last July, 
and finish the book and now you know come back around and start the beginning of the book again <laughs> so it's one i think he said he's gone through the bible 46 times or something like that but that esv one year bible that has an old testament a new testament and then something from proverbs or, or psalms and it's um it's a spectacular way to add to your day. I already have other devotionals, but just add it in, and it's a wonderful thing. Um, I have some references here. Psalm 16:7. I praise the Lord because he advises me, even at night. So talking about dreams, do you, we all dream. And I was going to spend time on dreams, but I decided Nebuchadnezzar was more exciting. <laughs> but dreams are exciting too. And the unwavering witness, Daniel 3.28, we'll have that next week. Daniel 3 is, uh, Garland is doing next week. Always giving credit to God. And then the last bullet, Chris, I love your slides, your maps, and your research. Thank you. Credit to you. Um, this is Israel during the Babylonian exile, the southern kingdom falls around 605 B.C. and becomes part of the Babylonian Empire. In the second exile, around 586 B.C., the Medo-Persians conquered Babylon, 539 B.C. I found this picture. I think this is just, I have two more minutes. I'm going to use them. Cyrus of Persia, as one of his first acts, he decreed the Jews could go home. And that's written on this cylinder. This cylinder is actually in the British Museum right now. And it was discovered in 1879 in the ruins in Babylon in Mesopotamia, now modern Iraq. I think that's just fascinating. I think, I just love history. I just think that's, isn't that fascinating that that was discovered and it was written right on there that he wanted his first act to be that. Um, one of my religion classes that I took, there was a, a gentleman from an African nation and he said, oh, so the Persians are responsible for Judaism. Not quite, but, you know, it just loses something in the translation, right? That was interesting to take religious classes with people that aren't all Christians. As you were saying, Kathy, it's just, it's a different perspective. And we used a, an app called Blackboard where you share your answers to your questions. And I was astonished at some of what they wrote. I don't know what Professor Stallings gave them for grades, but... I wasn't in the grading department. Questions, comments, anybody? Thank you all. I do want to end with prayer, and I do appreciate you all indulging me.